could head back to your seats, that would be good. I know he gave you two bonus minutes, but you know. Good to see everyone here this morning. Talk to them. So this morning we're going to continue in our sermon series um, called Retold, Sunday School Stories You Thought You Knew. And really, we're just kind of taking a look at, at some of those um, super familiar Sunday school stories that maybe you taught as a teacher in Sunday school, or maybe as a kid you learned um, when you were little. And sometimes when we share stories with the little ones, we edit them a little bit, right? Um, like today, we're going to do Noah's, or not Noah, last week was Noah. This week is David and Goliath. Um, you probably wouldn't show a picture of someone gotten their head off. I mean, that's, I mean, some of these children's stories just don't seem to be so kiddish, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, as we examine these stories that maybe we are super familiar with, um, maybe there's some pieces in there that you hadn't really noticed before because you just thought you knew the story, right? Um, so as we dig into those, I think it's um, interesting to see that sometimes they're different than what we thought, but Still very important stories for our faith development and, and understanding our life with God. So again, as I mentioned, we're going to dive into David and Goliath and 1 Samuel 17 um, is kind of where the big part of the story is. Um, anyone ever heard that story before? David and Goliath? A couple of you? I'm pretty sure that story, <laughs> it's got to be one of the most famous stories ever, if you really think about it. You, that, that story gets mentioned in secular public places all the time, and everyone kind of assumes they know what the story is. So, very well-known uh, story, right? Um, so, what do you think of when you hear the phrase David versus Goliath? I mean, is there an image that comes to mind? What was that? Little versus big. I mean, the first... First image that comes to my mind, because, you know, I'm from the Star Wars era, is, you know, these TIE fighters going after the, the Death Star, taking on a whole planet, right, that can blow up planets, um, and they somehow win. I also think of um, the USA hockey team beating the Russians. I mean, that's kind of a David versus Goliath situation. Um, but the, the one that I really like the most was the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. Anyone ever, did you guys watch that game at all? I mean, um, we have these monstrous Oklahoma Sooners versus this wee little Boise State team. Um, still one of the best college football games ever, and that's not from Boise State fans. That's from pure fans, right? Why is this game so important? It's David versus Goliath. And they win even on a Statue of Liberty play, right? It's crazy. David versus Goliath. I mean, that was actually said by the broadcasters multiple times in that game. So when we think of David versus Goliath, I think we understand the basic concept, right? There's usually some outmatched little guy against this big guy. Um, but are there parts in there that we're not familiar with? Maybe even parts that would make the story even more meaningful. Um, as we started last week, I um, thought it would be good to just share the basic story, maybe, that sometimes we share with kids 
Um, this one is actually from a company called Lamb Songs. And I really like the, the pictures that went along with it, so that's why I picked this one. But it's a pretty good story. Let me just read it to you. David was only a young boy, but he had trusted God to help him many times when he was looking after his father's sheep. One day, David had to leave his sheep. He was going to see his brothers. They were soldiers in the king's army, and he was taking food to them. David saw that all the king's soldiers were too scared to fight a big man called Goliath. Don't be scared, David said. God is bigger than Goliath. David went to see the king. I will fight Goliath, he said. God helped me to fight a hungry lion and a hungry bear. God will help me to win. The king wanted David to wear his armor, but it was too big. I can't wear this, he said. I only know how to throw stones in my sling. Goliath did not want to fight a young boy. <laughs> David found five round stones. He prayed and asked God to help him to be brave, and then he twirled his sling around his head, right? And then he let a stone fly from his sling, and the stone hit Goliath and knocked him flat. Everyone cheered, and David prayed, thank you, God, for helping me to be brave. That's a good story, right? Got the basic idea, got the basic, all the major points in there, maybe. Any parts, and don't say this out loud, we're just kind of processing here. Um, any parts in there that you would include that weren't included? I'm thinking about that story. And think about it for a moment. Similar to last week, I really think that in this particular one as well, it's not necessarily the details that I would point out, but maybe it's just too tight of a focus. Um, we need to zoom out a little bit so we can see a broader view of the whole story, the, the broader context, right? We like to talk about context. In fact, if we zoom out, we'll see that this story is not just about David and Goliath. One, one could even argue that just as important in this story is God, right? He's a major player here. But also King Saul. King Saul's a very important part of this story. And then there's this squirmish, this ongoing bat battle between Israel and the Philistines that just continues on and on and on and on, all the way through, it seems like, the Old Testament. So when you look back a few chapters, let's just look at the context a little bit. King Saul was the first king in the history of Israel, um, at least if you're not counting God on that list. God was actually the first king of Israel. Um, and back in those days, before the human kings um, came along for Israel, God worked through the prophet Samuel. And you know what? It's amazing that when God was king, they never had any troubles with the Philistines, at least when they were trusting in God. 1 Samuel 7, verse 10 says, While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder. I always like that. It's like, can you thunder without loud thunder? I mean, is there a possibility there? Anyway, he the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. And then skipping ahead to verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. 
throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. So, good times for Israel, right? They didn't have to fight the Philistines over and over again. It seems like they're fighting these guys. And, but as expected, humans, we aren't, we aren't a satisfied bunch, are we? We don't stay satisfied very long. And, and Samuel's nearing the end of his life, and the people start crying out that they want a human king just like all the other nations. Can't we have a king just like them? Well, for Samuel 8, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And for God's <laughs> part in this, he tried to convince them, Hey, you realize what a human king does, right? A human king basically subdues you so they, kick, they take all the stuff, right? That's what human kings do. But yet the people persisted. They still wanted a human king. And so God decided to give the people what they wanted. That's not a very good place to be, right? That's a really dangerous place to be, to, for God to get to a place where he gives you what you want rather than what he wants to give you, right? Moving into 1 Samuel 9, we get our first glimpse of who would be that new king, that, that first king. It's Saul, right? Verse 2, it says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome and a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So what was his description? All dark and handsome. I mean, if humans are picking, that's who they'd pick, right? And look at this guy. He's, he's a head taller than anyone else. He's, he's a giant. And do you know what in particular his job was to do as a king? Listen to this conversation that God has with Samuel about this king. It says in 1 Samuel 9, verse 16, it says, About this time tomorrow, God's talking to Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, and their cry has reached me. So what was King Saul's priority? What was he supposed to do? He's supposed to take out the Philistines. He's supposed to fight them, right? So Saul was this giant guy, apparently handsome, and needs to say, <laughs> he goes along as king and he makes a few errors, or he actually acts like a human king, right? Because that's what human kings do. They serve their own interests, <laughs> and he forgets to include God in all of this, right? And so we see at the very end of 1 Samuel 15, things aren't going really well between Saul and Samuel, Saul and God. So we see at the end of 1 Samuel 15, there's a parting of ways between the prophet Samuel and, his, and the king. Verse 35, it says, Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And this brings us into the 1 Samuel 16, which is when they select another new king, Right? 1 Samuel 16, the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? He's old news. I've rejected him. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So here's the son of Jesse is going to produce this next king. Which one is it going to be? Well, if it's up to the people, what would they pick? <laughs> the tall, dark, and handsome guy, right? The oldest, the strongest, the tallest. And, and this, is, this was Jesse's son Eliab. 
Listen to verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I mean, he's the firstborn. He's the strongest. He's the best. It's the obvious choice. But this is one of the key moments in the story. Listen to verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Praise the Lord. <laughs> people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart, right? Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass before him, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. So you can almost see this frustrated Samuel <laughs> turning to Jesse and saying, what's the deal here? I came to grab one of your sons to be the next king, and do you have any other sons? And, and Jesse answers, yeah, we do. One more. The youngest, he's out tending the sheep. We'll send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And this is another key statement. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David's going to be the new king. And then Samuel went on to Ramah. Now, we know that David doesn't immediately become king, right? King Saul's still in charge. King, does, king Saul doesn't even know about David being chosen, right? But we do see in the story that God starts putting David in these positions where people actually are starting to see him and notice him and, and, and notice that he's something different. There's something special about him. They notice that the Spirit of the Lord is on him. And even King Saul notices this. But we also see in the story that God had been working in David's life, developing him into the person that God needed him to be, to do all that God had planned for him, growing his faith in the Lord. God had been involved in his life way before this anointing, right? Remember his encounters as a shepherd with the bear and with the lion? David had learned early on that he could trust the Lord, right? And yet, even as we finally get to 1 Samuel 17, where the story is that we're looking at this morning, the story's still not on David. You know what the focus is in 1 Samuel 17 as we begin that chapter? It's on these pesky Philistines. They just won't go away. And now they've found this new champion, 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. You can almost picture that scene, right? And a champion named Goliath, who, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Kind of interesting. Um, if you read, depending on what version you read, the Hebrew version or the Greek version of the story, they do vary a little bit. 
Goliath is either nine feet tall or he's six foot nine. But either way, he's a giant. I mean, he's just a huge guy, especially in those days. They didn't grow him that big back then, right? Listen to the detailed description of this guy. Verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scaled armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, 126 pounds. You know, I have a hard enough time carrying 40 pounds in my pack, right? 126 pounds. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, roughly 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So here's Goliath. He's not only huge, but he's got quite the armor, right? And quite the weaponry. And not only that, but he's got a guy in front of him that's protecting him with a shield. That's not fair, is it? I mean, the giant's far more than intimidating. He, he's seemingly invincible. How could you beat the guy? In verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you're, you are, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will, come, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Of course, I read that completely wrong. I should have had, once again, James get up here and actually read it like a giant, right? This day I defy the armies of Israel. That's a little better. I don't think I could maintain that, but... What, what Goliath is talking about here is this representative way of fighting, right? Kind of an interesting idea. It keeps things simple. Instead of both armies coming out and duking it out, all of them together, right? All you had to do is bring out your best soldier, and you were going to have your best soldier fight against the best soldier of the other team, right? Winner takes all. And this approach makes a lot of sense if you got a guy like Goliath on your team, right? If you don't have Goliath, you're probably not favoring this mode of war, right? <laughs> but you remember that the Israelites did have a giant on their team, right? Who was it that stood head above everyone else? And, and he was, I can't even say the word, specifically brought on to fight these Philistines. It's King Saul. He's the giant. He's the obvious choice to fight a giant, right? And yet we see his response, not just from the Israelite army, but from Saul. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I mean, the Philistines had their champion, but the Israelites didn't have a champion, right? And as you read the story, you're just kind of left to wonder, who will defend Israel against its attackers if even the army's afraid? Who's going to help them? And so enters the story, David. Verse 12. 
Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons and, uh, had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest, eighth oldest. <laughs> the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here we have this description of David that is nothing like the description that we have of Goliath, right? I mean, they're, ta- they're not talking about armor. They're not talking about size. They're not talking about weapons. What are they talking about? Who's related to? Could they not kind of come up with anything to talk about other than his relatives? Um, I mean, he's not even a soldier in the army. Not even a part of the war. Why not? Well, you, you look at a few different options. One is that maybe they had a limit on how many brothers could be in the war at a time, right? He already had three brothers that were there, the oldest, obvious choices. But maybe it was because he was too young. He had to be 20 to be in the army. We don't know how old David was at this point. But whatever the reason, let's not forget that God looks at different things than humans do, right? That's an important part of the story. Back to the story in verse 16. For 40 days, it's a long time, (laughs) the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Verse 19, they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So here we are. David's nothing but an errand boy, just a shepherd boy, as we start into this part of the story. Verse 20, 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And this time, David hears him. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So we see King Saul offering all these great rewards. And they're pretty good rewards, right? But he's not willing to go himself. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What does David's question bring to mind? Oh, there's another character in the story. God, right? God hasn't been mentioned at all so far in this story. And as far as David is concerned, this isn't just a war between humans. 
right? I mean, no matter how big Goliath is, David believed that Goliath was on the wrong side. And what team you are on is important, (laughs) especially when you're talking about the living God. That's what David believed, right? And this ultimately is where Saul's kingship failed. He had left God out of the picture. He had lived and fought as if God did not exist. And because of that, so did his army. His army did not believe that God existed. They didn't act as if he did, right? They were just as scared as he was. And yet it's amazing that this same army, these same guys, after they began following David, who did actually focus on God and remember God, what did, what did they become? This courageous, amazing army. All because their leader actually believed in God, right? And this really is where we can relate to this story, I think. I mean, how often do we get into these difficult, seemingly impossible situations, and we think to ourselves, well, how in the world am I going to get through this? Am I going to survive this, right? And we're leaving out the fact that God is there with us, right? God is there with us. In those hard times, do we act more like Saul or do we act more like David? I hope David, right? As crazy and foolish as this young kid David sounds, when we really think about the story, when we really think about the power of God, David should be (laughs) considered the only sane person in the story. I mean, if God is on your side, shouldn't you be confident about this? I mean, if God is going to back David, does Goliath have any chance against the creator God? Honestly, how is David the only person interested in challenging Goliath when he knows who's on his side, right? I mean, have they all lost their minds? How could God not be Goliath? No matter how big Goliath is, right? So skipping ahead to verse 31, what David said was overheard, reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Remember who David is. Just a kid, right? And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, killed it. (laughs) Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because (laughs) he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you think your past experiences can be used by God? Do you think getting through some of the difficult places you've been in life, does that set you up for success in the future? Knowing that God was there and got you through? I mean, listen to the resolve of the shepherd boy in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. 
Why would it be any harder, right? And so Saul is looking at this boy, and he can't help but agree with him. And he says, go. The Lord be with you. Hope it all works out. Now think about this. This is a huge decision for the king. I mean, whoever fought Goliath was fighting for the whole nation, right? And if that person loses, then the whole nation gets to be slaves to the Philistines. And yet, King Saul chooses David. Maybe out of lack of options, right? Who else is going to be crazy enough to do this? But maybe... He's seeing something in David that he truly desired to be as a king, but had failed, right? He saw in David just this amazing trust in the Lord, confidence in the Lord. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. This is an interesting part of the story, right? Put a coat of armor on him, bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, tried to walk around. You can just kind of imagine what that looked like because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now think about this. King Saul is putting on the best armor possible that Israel has. It's the king's armor, right? On David, and really in some ways, unbeknownst to him, he's actually kind of placing David in his place as king, right? He's dressing him up. And yet David's not interested, not in his approach, the way he does the things that he does, right? How important is it to know who you are? To know whose you are? I mean, if God delivered David against a bear and a lion just as a shepherd boy, why wouldn't he be able to also take on a giant just as a shepherd boy, right? What was the most important factor in David beating Goliath? His size, his armor, his weapons. No, whose side he was on, right? Whose side he's on? Who was, who was he trusting in? Whether he was trusting in the Lord or not, right? Verse 40, then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I don't think that's going to help him much, right? Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So we see David stepping out to fight Goliath. Not just Goliath. Goliath has, has a person with him, right? It's protecting him. But he's just a shepherd boy, seemingly all by himself, up against this hardened warrior and his armor bearer. And yet before he starts the battle... He makes a speech. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. (laughs) This story isn't about overcoming giants. It's a demonstration of God's faithfulness, his power. That there is indeed a God in the earth. And he is the one who gives us victory. In fact, it doesn't just end in David and Goliath's story. It doesn't just end in the Old Testament. Into the New Testament, Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just talking about fighting giants, are we? Whatever you might have going on in your life, God is with us. We can be thankful for that. Back to 1 Samuel 17, verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. (laughs) Of course, the Philistine is not going to be moving very quickly. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And just like that, the story was over before it started. And I anticlimactic a little bit. They didn't even fight very much. Um, but God had helped David, right? Triumphed over the giant. Just as he said he would. Even though David seemed to be all alone. Was he all alone? No, he wasn't. The truth is that sometimes we can feel all alone. But the story of David and Goliath actually encourages us in that. That even when we feel like we're alone, God is with us. God is with his people. So as we close this morning, let me just offer you a few questions to think about. How is the story of David versus Goliath actually a story of God versus Goliath? And how easily could it have been just two humans fighting? And what would have happened if it was just David and only David fighting against Goliath? How does the story end then? And maybe a more personal question. Do we ever leave God out? When you face a challenge in life, do you think that you're alone? Or maybe do you think that that God can't use you? Maybe you feel like you're not the tallest or the biggest or the strongest or the smartest or the handsomest, whatever whatever your excuse might be. And yet God used David. 
Do you realize that God is with you? And he is for you? In fact, think about this. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you are facing that is way too difficult for you. You feel like you're all alone. Where's God in this? Would this be a a moment, maybe a good moment to pause and just talk to him about it? I'll just encourage you this morning as we, as we close this time to just take a moment and talk to God about where you are in life. Are you going through life on your own? <laughs> or are you looking to him for strength and wisdom and help? And would you like to do it a little bit differently than you're doing right now? <laughs> so would you just take a moment, just have a moment to talk to the Lord? And then I'll close in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible stories of hope that we see in Scripture. And this, is, this story is no different. No matter how small we might feel, no matter how seemingly insignificant we feel, you look at things differently than we do. You look at our hearts. Lord God, we want to have a heart that desires you, that includes you in our lives. We want to have a heart that desires to have you be our God. Lord, would you just do a work in us? I don't know what what those who are here face, but Lord, would you just help us to not forget you as we go through life. As things get difficult, as things get super busy and all the things that are going on in life, Lord, would you help us not to forget you? Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to continue to look to you for help. We will give you all the praise. Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we close? Benediction passage this morning is the one that we read earlier from Psalm 78. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We've done that, right? We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation 
the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done. People of God, you are a blessed people. You have a God that cares about you. I mean, just imagine the creator of the universe, this huge universe, and now that we have a new telescope out there, it's even getting bigger, right? That creator knows you personally, and we can talk to him, (laughs) and he is ready and able to help if we just ask. If we just listen and respond. This week, let's keep our eyes open. Not just looking horizontally at humans, but looking to the Lord. What does he want us to do? What does he want us to be a part? Let's live into this hope that our world so desperately needs. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. You are sent.